What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Opus Podcast. This is our podcast unraveling songs. My name is Lana Holgado. I'm a musician, dancer, and pile of beans in a skin suit. And what's up, everybody? My name is Josh. I'm a co-host, podcast producer, and I had She-Hulk spoil the Sopranos for me. Ooh. Very upsetting. Yeah? Yes. It was like... I'm like... I was really upset... Like, I, because I was just texting in a group chat, because everybody knew I was, like, watching Sopranos for the first time. And I've gotten to season three. I was actually, like, pretty into it, too. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, they just kept saying that, like, pivotal characters were dying. So, if you guys have not seen either of those shows, watch The Sopranos first, and then watch She-Hulk. Okay. Yeah. Long time no see, Josh. Yeah. How you been? I'm good. I'm good. I, um, I most definitely was being an innocent person in the country of england mm, yeah for those of you guys who don't know that uh the queen passed as lana was leaving the country and that's all i'm gonna say about that yeah yeah mm-hmm. draw your own conclusions oh my god okay yeah. mi6 I... certainly will no i'm it's don't worry don't worry about it everybody don't worry about it everybody it's fine yeah but now that she's back on the right side of the pond <laughs> yeah i said it this is the right side of the pond, and you know what we do on the right side of the pond, Technically, Lana? it's the left. It's the correct side of the pond. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to swap some songs. Yeah, let's do that. This week, I gave Lana Wraith by Chance the Rapper featuring Vic Mensa. Ain't like the ranges, I write it in stone. Channel my nigga, you write it, you wrong. Stars on the roof is a... Hey. Yeah. It's a was on their own. Hey. Shit don't make no sense. Up in that spaceship, yeah. My name like the Rangers, I write it in stone. Channel my nigga, he right it, he wrong. Stars in the roof, it's a walls on their home. I swear this shit feel like a tag of the clones. Chance the Rapper, one of the most iconic rappers of the 2010s, is a Chicago-based artist who first rose to prominence for his mixtape 10 Day. The mixtape, released just 13 days prior to his 19th birthday, referred to his 10-day suspension from high school after being caught with weed on school grounds. The mixtape quickly gained Chance clout in the hip-hop community, particularly with artist Childish Gambino, who brought him along as an opener and featured him on his royalty mixtape. This success led to Chance's next mixtape, Acid Rap, which catapulted Chance from a little-known rapper directly into the mainstream of hip-hop culture. The drugged-out, stutter-stumble flow that defined 10 Day was raised to new heights, and the 20-year-old Chance was firmly established as one of the best new artists in hip-hop. His third mixtape, Coloring Book, a reverent, gospel-influenced project that boasted features from Kanye West, Justin Bieber, Lil Wayne, and other huge artists, won the Grammy for Best Rap Album and notched another successful release for Mr. The Rapper, who seemingly could do no wrong. However, the much-hyped release of his debut album, The Big Day, in 2019, revealed that Mr. The Rapper actually could do some wrong, and the album experienced major backlash from core fans and casual listeners alike, criticizing the seemingly vapid nature of the tracks and lazy approach to lyricism. In 2021 and 2022, Chance would fire off a string of features, snippets, and singles, including a series dubbed Reading Exercises. The third of these, the Smoko Ono-produced track, Wraith, is the first of these to make it onto streaming. It sounds like you didn't like his debut album, Josh. I actually liked it. It's just yeah. a lot of people were very upset about it uh, because it was like very bloated and it was very long. And uh, the tracks kind of all like sounded the same and melded together. Mm-hmm. Like I, people were giving it like zeros out of tens. Wow. Like, yeah, like the, the Internet community really hated Chance and like everyone was telling him that like he fell off and like they were, they were very mad at him. And I was the one guy defending Chance. Mm-hmm. But uh, I cannot deny that there was a lot of backlash there. Okay. Yeah. Personally, I think it was an all right project. There was a couple good songs. But uh, there was a lot. It was very mid. There's a lot of mid stuff. A lot. Very mid. Yes. Yeah. The album itself has, like, an interesting history because it was, um, it was like, a lot of it was uh, made of the product of, like, freestyle sessions that Chance was having. So he was getting bodied on a lot of the verses because like the features would show up and actually like write stuff down mm. and he would just kind of go into the studio and just like go off the top, like say some fun stuff and then just kind of leave. Uh, and he also styled the album to sort of be like a wedding dance track type thing, which uh, doesn't really produce. Well, how? What do you mean? Like just in the sense that like there's songs that like they're meant to be like danced to not really like taken like too seriously or thought of and all mm-hmm. and uh one of like chance's best things about him was that he's like a very like lyrical like you know guy and that's kind of what carried out like people he, he got accused of the worst thing you can be in hip-hop which is corny mm. um which is why a lot of people uh did not 
to not mess with the album. Just curious, Josh, how do you just know all this stuff? Do you just like look stuff up for fun? Does it just osmosis into your brain? Well, like I like when it's like artists I like, I like know stuff about them. Yeah. Like you knew lots about Doty, right? Yeah, but I mean, I feel like there's not a lot of lore around her. Like the only reason I know so much about her is because she was a YouTuber primarily for so many years and she would like be putting all this stuff out there. Hmm. You know? But you're like invested in like the community and like, you know, what everybody thinks of things and Yeah, I mean like I with artists I like, I like to follow them and stuff and then I like to see what other people think and compare that to myself. I like reading music reviews specifically because I like discussion about it. Like I like doing this podcast because I like talking about art, you know? I don't mm-hmm. just like consuming it and that's it. I like thinking about it. And yeah. Like understanding how it fits in like a broader cultural context. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Wraith. I listened to this song in the car and it didn't seem to me, it didn't seem like anything special upon first listen. But that's because I didn't have any context. And like you said, like fitting things into a broader broader context is like what makes things enjoyable and like you're able to appreciate things properly. And like some people are just, you know, they're steeped in the community. Like they grew up like, you know, listening to a certain type of music and then they're like, yeah, obviously, like I know all these things about it. Um, But some people like you can plop them in front of a song and they like they like have no context for it um does this make any sense like the way i keep bringing up random songs and you're like what is this lana hmm you had me until you said that <laughs> actually now i'm kind of confused oh no oh, forget i said that yeah but- now like i i think it's better to appreciate art when you can understand the context that it like arises from so uh yeah i mean and that's kind of like what we try to do right is we bring up songs and we contextualize them Mm -hmm. and this is kind of a tangent but like this goes for any genre really that like you're not so well versed in and i've spoken to a lot of professors of classical music and this is like how to keep classical music alive by providing context um you know, like, the general population, unless you, like, take music lessons as a kid and you're, like, invested in this world, like, don't really know about the breadth of classical music. Like, there's a lot there. It's a lot more than, like, Fur Elise and what else is there? Moonlight Sonata, mm-hmm. um, Claire de Lune. It's, like, a, like, there's, like, a lot to be appreciated there. And, like, the way to get that is like by by providing context and yeah it's very important anyway yeah i think that's true for like all art forms in general yeah like even like literature yeah literature art like visual visual art yeah anything you gotta know like that's why i always liked music um music history because it's like it's basically just like story time Hmm. like the you like here we're gonna like tell you a story about like the context of this piece and like i wouldn't have appreciated it as much otherwise i'm like that's those sure are sounds but um but like you know understanding things in context it's like wow this is great anyway upon first listen i was like this is just a regular ass sounding song like i don't really i'm like i'm sure the words are clever because josh likes to pick words I mean, Josh likes to pick songs with clever wordplay in them, but like sonically, it's kind of mid. But I did sit down with the lyrics a little later, and to no one's surprise, Josh did pick a song with very clever wordplay. I like the I like the dopio line. That was cool. Mama asked me when I'm coming back home. I said I'll be down. A benefit to you that had me around. This rap shit got slow when it got me a pound. In Tokyo grown. TMZ socio. Why they so nosy though? These niggas lying. I call him Pinocchio. Hey, you know this ain't my first rodeo. He caught two shots. I call that shit a dopio. My niggas popping, so don't try to okie doke. They with the six. They ain't no opio. I'm on a fight getting paid, so with Curry Mo. Yeah, you know my story.
The writing exercise series that Chance has been putting out has mostly just been using uh, beats that have been cultivated to try to show off the lyricism. So they're like very like simple. So you can listen to writing exercise number one. Back in 1700s, they ain't have a moxicillin. I heard George Washington die at the dentist getting feelings. He had slave teeth by the hundreds, but bacteria by the millions. He fell victim to a sore throat, I mean sort of. Open wide for the doctor and they puncture his aorta. Die right there on the spot, they crossed his arms like King T'Challa. That's why I be smiling every time I see a dollar. Blacklist name on the back of the list. Backfist slapping the capitalist. Black pigs stick out the cap with a fist. Black kids rich is a slap on the wrist. Violent revolt is a slap on the wrist. Black so if you listen to that one, it's a really repetitive, very simple chord progression. But what's the focus of that isn't really on like the actual uh, beat. The focus of it is supposed to be on the lyrics that he's talking about. Writing exercise number two has the same deal. The fable unfolds, the prince is coronated at home. Foreign states sent robes ornated in gold. The poor faded sore losers all hated their roles. They played it perfectly. I couldn't make it alone. My city, my throne, my chair is the beam. I layer my home and fair is the queen. It ain't fair, I inherited liens. But my house stands straight, I'm the sturdiest beam. Heavy the crown, but steady the vision. Eyes wide open, ears stay ready to listen. The petty decisions I left at the city's discretion. Sky in writing exercise number two, Chance wraps the entirety of his verse before the beat even comes in. So he's just going over a very like simple loop of the melody there. Uh, in this case here, we have a melody that's coming from like a strum guitar. And the second the beat actually comes in, that goes really quiet. So it's just serving as more of a general direction of where the song is supposed to go. But the focus is only on the, really the beat, like driving the percussive element and the lyrics, uh, which Vic Mensa and Chance the Rapper both do pretty well. Both of them adopt a very like casual flow sounding that very soft spoken and relaxed because the focus is supposed to be as like a writing exercise to literally like let their lyric abilities sort of like do the heavy lifting here. So like Vic's verse is pretty all right. Uh, I didn't really find like that many standout lines, uh, but I like the Dobio line and uh, his first four bars and stuff like that, like the Attack of the Clones thing was fun. Personally for me, the song really snaps when Chance gets in. So we're just going to analyze his verse in like two sections. The first is like when he's talking about his life sort of as a celebrity and like a famous person. And the second is where he's sort of reflecting on his status as like a wealthy black man and also an anti-capitalist activist and trying to square those two identities together. So we have the first four lines. Pick up the pace if I pick up the phone. She acting up, I start acting along. Wake up one morning and that bitch was gone. We not in Kansas like that's my homes. Over the rainbow and back in the two flat, the witches is too flat. It's to take bones. So he's referring to presumably his now wife and the previous breakup that they had, where uh, you know she was acting up, he started acting along. Woke up one morning and then she was gone. Uh, and I also really like the line, we not in Kansas like Patrick Mahomes. It's so clever. So Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs. And Kansas City is not in Kansas. It's in Missouri. And it's just like, I just really like that line a lot because it, like, I had to think about that for a second. I was like, wait, what? But yeah, Kansas City is not in Kansas. But then, uh, like you said, he carries out that extended metaphor of the Wizard of Oz is doing like a comparison of his own life. Uh, so his version of traveling over the rainbow is him like becoming famous. You know, he left Chicago for a bit. He was like hooked on drugs, like living the full like celebrity life. Uh, and then, you know, ended up realizing that what was like actually important to him, like in the story of the Wizard of Oz, whole things about going home and stuff. Uh, his family and his life back in Chicago is really the important bit, uh, important thing for him. Over the rainbow and back in the two flat, the witches is too flat, it's shattered, they bones. The house is too heavy, the wrist is too heavy. My brother heavy, he's stacking the stone. Save money, marrow is back in my bones. I'm back in the yard like it's back in the day. My city a riot, I go on a diet. But if I keep eating, I'll have a parade. I'm on a nine, I'm having a rafe. If I got the best. The line, my city a riot, I go on a diet, but if I keep eating, they'll have a parade, is a really interesting line, too. Uh, Chance is really frank about the difficulties that Chicago currently is facing, and he resolves to direct his own like wealth to try to help them rather than help himself. So that's his version of, like, go on a diet. Even though that he knows that, like, if he just kept, like, you know, keeping the success for himself and, like, enjoying the material wealth, because he's still, like, the, you know hometown hero and stuff people will still cheer him on the line i'm on a nine i'm having a wraith if i got the bentley we having a race is sort of the final flex line of this first half of the song here which is referring to the rolls royce wraith and the bentley luxury car and it's a pretty standard flex bar where chances just sort of demonstrating his immense wealth but the transition into the next half 
uh, is really where the verse finds itself as odds. I'm on the nine, I'm having a race. If I got the Bentley, we having a race. I'm slamming the Jakes and stacking the rakes. We going to prison and opening gates. He says, I'm slamming the Jakes and stacking the rakes. We go into prison and opening gates. So Chance has been a very outspoken critic of the Chicago PD and the criminal justice system writ large. And here we see like him transitioning more into his activist self here. He refers to the defund the police movement with closing the precincts and open the case and goes on to levy a pointed criticism about the systemic oppression and imperialism with people were scattered, the leaders, the leaders were flattered and hidden in neo-colonial states. We go on a prison and open the gates. Closing the precinct and open the case. I'm cracking the code and open the safe. My brothers and sisters, I sat and I thought and I flew in a rush and I soaked in a lake. People were scattered, the leaders were flattered and hidden in neo-colonial states. You cannot get out this by owning a school. You cannot get out this by philanthropy as a means to solve this issue with you cannot get out this by owning a school you cannot get out this by owning the place so then the big question is how do you levy a critique against capitalism while at the same time you spent the entire first half of the song flexing your own like personal wealth and your luxury cars that are worth more than people's net worth body the body the body the body the head i'm part of the body i'm part of the problem i'm part of my body i'm part of the red body the 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 head the sea get too choppy the people get walking in israel salty the water is dead but when he's uh saying like i'm part of the body i'm part of the problem he's finally like settling on um understanding that his own participation in the system is like an issue here and then ultimately what you have to do is you have to break out of the system entirely if you're trying to like solve it here and then this is where he goes into uh you know i'm part of my body i'm parting the red where he's sort of like seeing himself as like okay uh i'm a prophet here you know parting the red referring to like moses parting the red sea and all that right so his whole idea is like this is the identity that i settle with not just as some like rich dude who's just going around flexing his wealth but actually being the person who's like you know metaphorically leading his people out of slavery here right um and trying to like uh push forward with actual like grassroots on the ground activism here so one of the things that i really like about chance is that he's an activist at heart his whole shtick about being an independent artist uh, not tied to a label was about trying to take power back for the artists from the labels that otherwise just kind of exploit artists there and he also just does like a lot of very good like grassroots things for chicago um so just like one example is he started a food pro a food program called Books and Breakfast that was styled after the Black Panthers free breakfast program uh, where they would just give out like free meals and uh, books to Chicago families and they have these nice family days. And he had like this whole thing where he's talking about how they were like taking these very like high quality pictures of like these like, you know, families and stuff. And then they would give them like these very like professional portraits and like these big like, you know, pictures and frames and stuff like that and like blow it up so they can put it in their house because that like family crest is something that like a lot of people actually lack. And, you know, something that's kind of like denied outside like the middle income uh, neighborhoods and stuff. So that way people can have like, you know, a family crest. They can have like a shared sense of identity here. And, you know, he does like a lot of like good on the ground stuff like that. And I think like that's his way that he sort of squares this problem here. That it's not just about like cutting a check and um, to like some food bank, although, you know, that's necessary and all. But it's about actually like thinking about the problems that people are facing and like working to like try to solve them, working to empower them and give them like a sense of, uh, you know, give them a sense of success. I think like previously in the hip hop community, like somebody succeeding on their own uh, was seen as like success for the community at large. But Chance is sort of becoming the next generation of the artist, which is seeing that you have to actually empower the community. You can't just become a billionaire by yourself. You have to like be bringing people up with you. And yeah, inclusion song is dope. I like the lyricism and it's really fun to rap along to. I like it. Good job, Chance. Yeah, good, good job, job Mr. The Rapper. Mr. The Rapper. Something I love about Chance, you know, he came up in his community, his Chicago community. Same with Dodie. Like, she didn't come up alone, even though she is kind of like the top dog of like the people she came up with. But, you know, she really like had her community of like London based YouTuber um music artists with her and you know we love that for her and of course now um as she grows and becomes you know even a better artist and a more amazing person in general she's released her new ep hot mess and um one of the songs that i gave josh this week lonely bones is on that ep mm -hmm. 
she is already um youtuber musician sensation took our hearts by storm the introspective girly she they of them all we love her and what they're doing in this world and um pretty much one of the only artists i listen to so yeah Dodie is my drake Dodie is my kendrick no, Dodie is my Kendrick. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so what do you think of the song, Josh? I liked it. Um, I like her music and think in general it's just kind of like really calming. Um, which I know like she has a little more like bangers and like, like she's starting to move away from this type of sound. I think with uh, some of her more recent stuff, from what I've heard. You are the Dodie expert here. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so I uh, this is the music that I'm more familiar with, like Dodie putting out yeah. and stuff. And I thought like the idea of just like tackling like a depressive episode um, through song, it's always fun. You know, I wish my depressive episodes produce art this good. In the Grinch key, got a plan Wait for me over the bridge. I will say that Dodie, I feel like she's always had more upbeat songs. Not so much like club bangers, but like she has she has had more upbeat songs since the beginning. Like, um, Would You Be So Kind? Oh, Absolutely Smitten was like a song she wrote when she was 15 or 16 or something. Um, and it was like, you know, like one of those like, cute um ukulele like upbeat songs about like falling in love um but i feel like generally it's her more introspective um things that get picked up all of the stuff like i know her of is like the things that sort of went a little more viral i think uh and so like i'm more familiar with like her singing in that like 12 point font you know Mm -hmm. like 8 point font whatever the smaller one is yeah I feel like generally, no matter what, she does have, like, a pretty, like, her voice is kind of contained, at least in some spots. And then, like, you know, towards the end when everything's building, like, she'll, like, you know, go off. Yeah. Um, the bridge was a good example of this, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was pretty. Joshua my bones really do be lonely um I haven't gotten a chance to sit down fully with the lyrics yet because I'm just so I'm just booked and busy but I can just tell what Dodie means from the other elements of the song and that's you know that's what sets music apart from me like you can just you just know without words like I would just I would read poetry if it were all about the lyrics but I don't read poetry I listen to songs um also you know about her voice whoever her vocal engineer slash mix engineer or like producer i don't know if they're all one person or if they're different people whoever they are they're a genius because i learned recently that it's really hard to mix vocals that keep all the little crispy bits and all the little sibilance while um i learned this when i was working on my song with wookie chaos brain which is coming out soon i don't know um and hers are preserved so well it's like asmr and i was trying to i i should have just been like i want it like dodi when i was like trying to explain what i wanted to luki um but he was like taking out like all the little breathy bits and all like the little crispiness and i was like and he was like that's like the conventional way of mixing things you know you don't you normally don't want that stuff in 
but like now that you've said you wanted that stuff in like I can adjust but it's like it's tricky it's you know it's not easy and like props to them for preserving all that um so the things that really resonated with me the things that really resonated with me it would be going you would be you know there would be a line and it would just be like you know this nice simple lilting line right and then there aren't these like hard drops per se but as there are with like hip-hop or like edm or other such genres but there are more soft drops in the beginning at the we'll talk about um the gang vocals in a bit but like as the song as like new verses kept building on each other there were like soft drops where the instrumentation seemed to widen um and it's like an orchestra adding more instruments as the piece progresses actually like i think this is exactly what that is it's just you know adding instruments but you know if it ain't broke don't fix it like we've been like adding drama to songs like this for years you know if it if it works it works add another night to this tale row seem to be dangerously close might abandon the hostel so fire because there's so much going on but it's still just such a cohesive um compressed song like if you were in an orchestra proper like you went to go see an orchestra there would be like time you know it would be like the volume would be like really low and then it would be like really like as it grew it would get really big you know um and if you look at a waveform of an orchestral piece you'll see that the um you'll see that like typically it starts out um you know with like a theme and there's only a couple instruments playing that theme and then as they expand on that theme like the rest of the orchestra comes in and then like the waveform gets bigger but you know typically with songs like this that you're going to play in the radio you don't you want a consistent volume throughout so it's nice and compressed um and you know whoever mixed this did a really good job it's just it's really hard to do that kind of thing. Props to them. gotten to the gang vocals of it all the little candid part where she's like okay you know and it's like she's in the background it sealed the deal and then the actual vocals came in and i was floored i was flabbergasted and the contrast of being lonely versus this extreme togetherness of everyone singing together made me shake my bones again my bones really do be lonely um it's the contrast that seals the deal like you can't just have pure joy without knowing sadness intimately and you can't have loneliness without knowing what togetherness is so or maybe you can but like it doesn't hit as hard if you don't know the extremes of it all i really think this actually ties in well with the song that i was originally going to do which is drink till i die mm -hmm. um they have similar themes and origins but drastically different approaches so many fights my mind stupefied but through all the haze i still hear them cry drink motherfucker drink motherfucker drink a curse to you lad a curse on your head drinking fight after fight until i am dead i just keep drinking and i don't know why but tonight is the night that i drink till i so they're both about loneliness and feeling as if you don't have a place in the world at, at their core, you know what I'm saying? And they both draw inspirations from Irish and English folk music. 
um sidebar that's why i think i've always felt drawn to dodi as opposed to other indie artists because she has like a little bit of that folk style mm-hmm. um which i really like um so lovely bones takes on a six eight feel with a lilting melody and it just floats over and it's just like it's very danceable right mm-hmm. and Drink Till I Die adopts a cut time polka style. So it's like... Dun, 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 half, dun, dun, and then, nah, I'm going to splice it in, yeah. Yeah. And they're both, yeah. They're both very danceable and folksy in different ways, right? So And they both like draw inspirations from like that, you know, that kind of place. Right. Also, furthermore... Both songs are structured to have solo verses where the singer recounts their personal tribulations and a group sing-along element. For Drink Till I Die, it's the chorus. And then with Lonely Bones, it's the gang vocals and the bridge. And the group sections are, they're so free, they're full of emotion and crisp harmonies. And even though it's supposed to be a drunken, woeful emotion, you know, it's like they're recounting depressive episodes they're recounting like i feel like i feel like i'm inconsolable and the only way that i can cope with this world is like if i drink till i literally die um substance abuse that's what this song is about um but you know it's a far cry from a bunch of finance bros doing the bum 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 in the sweet caroline chorus you know it's a far cry from like everybody you know, like drunkenly singing like along to Bohemian Rhapsody, you know, there, it takes a lot of musical skill and it's like, they're very crisp harmonies. It just hits so different, you know, when there's like that much emotion paired with that much skill. And not only that, but like the mixing as well on top of that to just like congeal all the skill together and package in it, package it in just a wonderful song obviously um Dodie and the poxy bogards take that's what they're called right mm-hmm. they take very different approaches Dodie takes the inward approach and the bogards use external methods for example substance abuse anyway thanks for coming to my ted talk i love these songs for very different reasons but at the end of the day maybe the same reason I think, like, the one thing that they have is that they're both, like, very, like, upbeat in a sense. Like, I know, um, like, she wrote it more like a waltzy type thing. Also, mm-hmm. it made a lot of sense, like, reading that she wrote this during, like, quarantine and lockdown and that it came out through that era because that's a little bit, like, like, I really understand where those emotions are coming from there. Although, I think, like, the one thing that, um, like, sort of differs them, right? A lot of this uh, song is focused on, like, the emotion of just, like, sort of feeling that you're out of place. In particular, it has certain lines where it points to, like, other people around you are kind of like being normal and you on the other hand are just like sort of like suffering in silence and it's that like weird dichotomy of like you know i, I want to die and then like you know friends sleep obviously thick something's making me sick uh, i don't know the night in the sale row seems to be dangerously close might have been in the host you know that's suicidal ideation in the midst of like hanging out with people who otherwise are just like not noticing whereas the poxy bogars i feel like everybody is just kind of like like they're they're all collectively experiencing this mm. and they're all just collectively like enabling each other to uh drink mother effer drink mm-hmm. yeah so i think like they so i think they actually hit on different emotions in that regard there like both of them at the root are about like loneliness and feeling like by themselves but i think it's at the root that's what i'm talking about josh yeah. okay. but it, i think um the difference between these to borrow a line from billy joel is that um, the Poxy Bogards are drinking a drink called Loneliness and Dodie is drinking alone. Mm. Oh, this is a good episode. Yeah, this is a, this good is a episode. great episode. Yeah, yeah. That was poetic. Mm-hmm. I mean, I stole it from one of the most acclaimed songwriters. You know, but... it's, you know, yeah. Stealing is flattery, as they say. Yes. Part of the reason that I like part of the reason that i like would group them together was because like you know you know dodi like from her music and from you know her like musical persona 
and I know Dodie Pert now I don't know <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and like I I've seen her vlogs and stuff and she yeah. really is like kind of like in the past she's like been kind of a party girl mm-hmm. so she really would kind of like do this thing where she would like you know kind of drown out like the dissociation or like the feelings of like she she's spoken very publicly about um her depersonalization and like dissociation um and so she would just she she's spoken a lot about being like surrounded by people and like all her friends are like you know she's just like i just want to like i just want to party with them so bad like and i'm like out here like trying really hard to like get away from all that um but you know can't and that was like that was kind of like her life more pre-pandemic obviously um and so like that's why i guess i would categorize i mean like i would make the connection that's why i would make the connection between the two i think yeah yeah that i mean that does make sense mm-hmm. yeah yeah dodi we stand dodi one day i'm gonna become her peer it's gonna happen i mean you're technically colleagues right now yeah yeah what yeah yeah and uh you know we've been talking a lot about uh how chance was helping the chicago music scene develop here we talked a lot about how dodie's been helping uh bring up the her music scene in the uk here we also have a really exciting interview about to hit you guys uh this is an interview with greg seltzer he is the founder and the producer of the philadelphia music fest so we have that interview right now Welcome back to the Opus Podcast, guys. We have a special treat for you. We have an interview with the one and only Greg Seltzer here. So Greg is a attorney, he's an accountant, and he is the founder and creator of the Philadelphia Music Fest. Greg, how are you doing today? Doing really well. Thanks so much for having me on. So I think the first natural question is, uh, how does a person who's, you know, an accountant, uh, a lawyer, you know, very involved in uh, mergers and acquisitions, you know, all that stuff there. How does uh, he find himself to be one of the driving forces of the Philadelphia music scene? I guess I would say, it, it, I mean, it all starts with just a passion for music. I, I'm a fan just like everyone else. I mean, even even at these shows, we're in year six and um, of producing Philly Music Fest shows. I still find myself, um, you know, mostly a fan. Uh, to be honest with you, a little behind the scenes now in producing these shows and getting people on and off stage, staying on track. But I'm I, I'm really at the core of fans. So the Philly Music Fest kind of started with using skills from the legal and accounting professions that um, I've built up over time. And then I've applied those to the music festival, right? So it's it's how can I, as a fan, produce something that I believe benefits the music scene. So the blend of the legal and business and accounting with music just kind of manifested itself in this nonprofit Philly Music Festival. One thing I think is like really fascinating too is that it's not just, um, you know, a music fest that's meant to, uh, you know, bring some like talent into Philly and like, you know, showcase some homegrown talent, but it's actually nonprofit and uh, really mission oriented and focused on uh, helping uh, tons of great organizations um, from, you know, education within schools to educations uh, within prisons for music education and all. Uh, what was sort of the idea to uh, focus it toward that? It's really, really reinvestment in the music scene. Uh, when I kind of took a step back, took a macro view of, of the Philly music scene, it, the vision was that we all have all of these parts. We have the bands, we have the venues, we have some industry with labels and radio and talent. Um, but one really important aspect of, if, if you think about a kind of a hub and spokes and the spokes are all of those varied, varied industries with, with venues and radio and streaming and engineers and all of that stuff. One big spoke is music education because we, we don't have any of those folks, the bands or the, the industry talent without educating the next generation about music in our city. Um, otherwise, we just kind of had the talent pool that we have and try to attract people from other cities. So if we want to home grow a first class music scene, we have to really invest in music education 
and kids right now that are going to be the podcasters and the bands and the venue bookers and things like that in 10 years from now. So, you know, when we when we attack that angle, we realize that there's not a whole lot of music education in public schools. Uh, there is not really a whole lot of music education in private schools, to be honest with you. Um, if anything, it's music education that I don't want, you know, I'll use the word stale, but I don't know that that's really the right term. But it's music education where they just provide some instruments, teach you how to read music, you know, hand you a flute and say, you know, we're going to have a we're going to have a concert in in a month and all of your uh, parents are going to come. And that's music education. Right. But the problem is that the net, the, the generation of kids right now, they, they want they want to learn beats. They want to learn Pro Tools. They want to learn um, a whole different genre of music that you know, what the music education programs are meant to do. So what that, what we realized is that there's a lot of music programs that have cropped up as after school programs that are nonprofits and essentially privately funded uh, with, in addition to some grants, Rock to the Future, Beyond the Bars, Musicopia, uh, World Cafe Live is a great program, Settlement Music School, a lot of the programs that we support. So what we what we realize is that if we structure Philly Music Fest as a nonprofit, then we can accomplish really our three goals in improving the music scene, which is a get artists paid, which you which you mentioned, get a lot of bands on our stage. We've had over 120 bands over six years uh, from Philly. So get artists paid, um, get independent venues paid uh, so that they have a decent payday because they're in incredibly important to our music scene. And then lastly, as you mentioned, the proceeds um, are donated to music education programs. So after paying the artists and after paying the venues, we have hopefully um, a pool of money last year was $75,000 that we donated to music education programs. So um, that money's going to the kids and then hopefully they will be the bands that we're paying in, in eight, 10 years. Yeah, I think it's a really cool way of looking at it, not just as like a, you know, in the moment you're creating something uh, really cool, but you're thinking about this in terms of like that 10, like 15 year plan of, you know, you have kids who are going into these school districts who are getting uh, the opportunity to get music education that they might otherwise not have. And they could actually be the bands that are headlining like 10, 15 years from now. Uh, and, you know, I think like uh, a place that has as much like culture and arts like Philly uh, unfortunately, we don't have as strong of a, uh, you know, music side compared to, you know, stereotypical cities like New York or uh, L.A. here. And I think like this is something that's really important and part of the evolution of what it needs, uh, what basically needs to be done in order to make sure that that homegrown talent here is able to, you know, stay uh, fed, essentially, and uh, perpetuate the pipeline there. Yeah, absolutely. And and you hit on something and I'll take the I'll take the bait and talk about inside hustle for a second. So um, Philly has Philly Music Fest. Um, so we have seven shows this year. Um, it's kind of growing each year. Uh, we have seven shows over six venues. Um, so that that'll be cool. It's October 10th to the 15th. And it's kind of just like a, a Philly takeover, a music takeover of our city in uh in our venues for that week of october and that's cool and we're going to do that every year and we this is year six so um that's great but what we're also trying to do is bolt on some other events that are during the afternoon uh before the shows to try to use that this kind of music takeover of philly week if you will philly music fest week um to to kind of broaden the scene right so one thing that we've been doing this is year three uh, we were putting on Inside Hustle, which is from noon to three at World Cafe Live on October 15th. So each year, the last three years, it's been the Saturday of Philly Music Fest. Uh, and it it's essentially a music information and networking event. And the theory is that, yes, as you said, we have bands, right? And we have a lot of kids that are making music too, and they're going to become probably musicians as well. But if you take a look at the Philly music scene, we excel in maybe the most important aspect of a music scene, which is music and bands, right? But in order to have a first class music scene like LA, New York, Chicago, Austin, Nashville, uh, you need you need a supporting cast, essentially. You need other pieces. Um, you need managers. 
you need agents you need stream you need a streaming platform that that is interested in philly whether it's bandcamp or spotify or apple music um, you need studios and engineers you need booking you need radio uh, you need design you need lawyers and accountants that can support uh musicians so we kind of um i would say we're lacking in a lot of those areas um and inside hustle is a meeting place uh for that whole community to come together and literally network um there's going to be a really quick panel discussion probably a 45 minute panel discussion with adam from loka connie um marissa from manic and pussy and a couple other artists bruce warren is going to moderate that but then importantly after the panel discussion the room's just going to break out into a networking event with stations for media um, managers agents all those categories that i name and we have right now 350 people rsvp to come out to world cafe live and just interact and my goal for that is for folks that are not you know love music but maybe you're not going to be in a national touring band there's places and homes for people that want to be involved in music in philadelphia whether it's as an agent or a manager or a record label and those people are just as important as the artist so i think we need to kind of do some ecosystem building in philadelphia to support these bands so they don't kind of um so they don't export and go uh, to to another jurisdiction. We got to keep them here. So that's that's inside hustle, and that's just kind of some thoughts on the music scene generally. Yeah, and I definitely want to take a second to plug inside hustle. Uh, it's in the podcast description here. You can uh, get a link to the RSVP. Uh, it's completely free, uh, which you know I think is great. Um, you, again, like you said, uh, you're going to have Loka Connie, um, uh, and then a bunch of uh, managers, agents, radio, venue booking, legal, all the different aspects uh i wanted to ask you like you know you personally as somebody i know who uh was always like really interested in music um but never uh or more so on like the studying it type of end not so on like the wanting actually be a touring musician um was this ever something that you thought you might go down in terms of like you know i could be on the back end trying to like produce like shows like this try to like set up networking events leverage my talent and my knowledge of like more esoteric industries try to help the creatives out yeah i i think so i mean i've thought about it for sure i will say that you know i i was before i started doing philly music fest and as i said i was just a fan but i've been doing philly music fest for six years and you know the first couple of years were a bit of a you know an alpha and then a beta and then now we're doing in, in 2007, uh, 2019, we did four venues and it's grown. But the point is that I had a lot of professional time. Um, I'm 46 years old. So uh, I had basically 15, 20 years as working as a lawyer and a couple of years before that working for a big uh, accounting firm, um, Ernst & Young. So the point of that statement is that I kind of enjoy doing that work um, it's so much that I don't know that I would you know, leave that work uh, and go just produce music festivals. I love Philly Music Fest. It kind of fills a, an outlet for me to give back to the scene. But, you know, I don't know that I would pivot my professional career to, you know, being a professional that's making money and making a living off of the music. There's There's something about it to me where, you know, in my day job doing large merger and acquisition transactions for companies and working with a lot of startup companies, technology businesses. I really like that. And I make a living doing that work. Uh, something about it for me feels pretty good that I'm not making a living, you know, taking money out of the music ecosystem, right? We'll let the artists make some money, let the venues make some money, podcasters, media, et cetera. But my time for the music industry, I'm just using my skills and just kind of giving back because I've received a lot from the music community over the years. So that's, that's probably the best way I can answer that question for you. Definitely. And I think that's actually really important to highlight that uh, this is something that you can pursue, like how musicians like to pursue, uh, you know, music on the side, whether I might have a day job and all, like you can still leverage the talents that you have, like that you acquire from your day job, even if it's not necessarily like, you know, a full-time gig or something, you're like completely devoting your life to whether or not some A&R like likes you or not. Uh, so Definitely uh, understand where you come from here. 
one thing I'm really curious about though, uh, like you mentioned, you're 46 year old, uh, you know, um, fan of music, but uh, not necessarily like uh, musically involved yet. You're able to really keep your ear close to the ground with all these great acts you keep booking, uh, not just with like the big name headliners like that you had in the past, like Japanese Breakfast here, Loka Connie, uh, we mentioned before, but also with some uh, new upcoming artists that uh, you're otherwise able to highlight uh, just on a practical level there. How are you able to um, sort of keep that uh, perspective, even as like you're getting older? Older is yes. not the right way of putting it. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, no, it's a great way. It's a great way of putting it. I mean, music is 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 ageless, really, right? I mean, uh, so so the way that I do it is I just consume music constantly. I mean, if you talk to my family and friends and coworkers, um, it's very unusual for me not to have music on at any point. Even if I'm reading a book or reading a document, I've somehow been able to acquire a skill over the past probably 30 years where I can I can read something and digest it but also be listening to music that has lyrics and under and be taking notes on on what I'm listening to if I like it um, or star it or something I have a whole system but the point is I listen to a lot of music and since I started Philly Music Fest I've been listening to a lot of Philly music probably more so than I was previously I always listen to you know, the Kurt Viles, the Dr. Dogs, and, you know, I would always go see bands in Philly at the various venues, but I've, in the last probably six, seven, eight years, been really cataloging that and really uncovering. Um, but there's also, you know, I really got to give a plug to some other people in the scene. I mean, we all learn from each other, right? These aren't, these aren't like Greg Seltzer's finding these bands. You know, I, I do see a band here or there, like River B, for example. Great, great band. I saw them and really just fell in love with them. That's where uh, I see that band and I take a note. Uh, but but plugging some other folks like John Batiste, for example, and Mike Vasilikos at XPN. I mean, they're doing a lot of the tough work to find these bands. And then, you know, you talk to people uh, around the scene like uh, Barrett from Johnny Brenda's, uh, Marley McNamara, who's now booking uh, three venues, and Jeff Myers from World Cafe Live. I learn a lot from these folks by seeing who they book as the opening bands uh, throughout the year. And then I just kind of have a long list. I've showed a couple people my long list. I have about probably, I think it's about 200 and it's, it's over 240. I think it's like 247 Philly bands that have not yet appeared at Philly Music Fest yet. They're on my Philly Music Fest 23 um, list uh, where we only have about 25 bands. So there's, you know, it's, it's a process, but um, I'm just constantly looking, constantly listening. And, um, you know, I really do believe I appreciate the question because the headliners get the headlines and that's why they're they sell the tickets and they're in the big font on the posters. But I really believe, you know, the secret sauce of Philly Music Fest, if you will, is is these opening bands and the supporting bands that, you know, for example, a ceramic animal that played in a very supporting opening role in 2017 at Philly Music Fest. Um, they just opened for the Black Keys on a national tour uh, and are headlining shows all across the country. That, that to me, is, is kind of one of the beautiful things of Philly Music Fest, that you can come out the week of Philly Music Fest and just see all of these bands. Some are broken out already, and others you're probably going to see them on a very small stage and then in two or three years from now, they're going to be Japanese Breakfast or uh, Mount Joy or Loka Connie. So that that's really kind of, a, I think, a special part of it. Totally, yeah. Um, I did want to get your perspective, uh, talking a little bit more about Inside Hustle, though. Um, one thing that uh, I think is like really great with uh, this work is I get to talk to a lot of creatives, um, get to speak to a lot of musicians here. Um, they're always not the best when it comes to things like networking, like uh, best business practices here. What's some advice that you would give somebody who's, uh, you know, up and coming the Philly music scene? They want to like start getting to that next level, getting booked at these places. Uh, so what would be some networking advice you might offer them for uh, next Saturday? Well, so... There's not a lot of networking events and advice in Philly. And that, that, that's one of the reasons that I created Inside Hustle uh, to give people that, uh, those opportunities. But also that's, that's only one, one afternoon a year, right? So there, there are a couple programs. There's a, um, I believe it's Volunteer Lawyers for the Arts 
is, a, is a good program to give a plug to. Uh, and then there's also support at XPN. Uh, people can reach out. But some advice that I would give, maybe not necessarily on how to network, because that's up to people on how they can you know, find people and people can reach out to me whenever they want. I'm happy to give advice. But my, I really would encourage musicians to try to be organized and to try to try to keep their eyes open. There's a lot of folks out there. This whole music industry is built on uh, different people along a vertical chain that seem to take 10% from all of the artists. And when they take a step back, they're paying, you know, 10 people, 10% and they have nothing out left for themselves. So you just gotta, I don't, I don't want to say be skeptical, but I, I do want people to be vigilant. Mm-hmm. about their operation and a lot of creatives they they really focus on the creative process of putting out something good great and that is what they ought to be focused on but they also need to remember that you know for better or worse as non-punk rock as it sounds you know they're running a business and they need to be mindful of equipment purchases and um how to how to protect themselves and and their art um, through copyrights and hopefully inside hustle provides people with an outlet to, you know, again, as boring as it might seem, go talk to the lawyer that's at the lawyer table. It's not going to be me, but, um, you know, I'll be there and they can ask me questions, but there'll be a lawyer posted up at inside hustle. Go say, Hey, should I have an entity? Should I form an LLC? What, what do I do here? There'll be an accountant there about, can I write off my tour expenses for gas from the tour? from driving around? Can I offset my income with that? These are like very boring questions, but they're also very basic. And um, musicians are, they're just entrepreneurs um, of little small businesses and they need to kind of be focused on it. Um, and you need to get a good manager. There's going to be two managers that that are going to be at Inside Hustle, probably a lot in the audience as well. Um, you got to find someone that you trust that's going to look out for you. It's really super important. So um yeah, just just kind of talk to people and network and just be vigilant. Totally, yeah. Um, you know, we were been talking a lot about the technical details and uh, some of like the real nitty gritty like business stuff that uh, I really enjoy. I think a lot of our listeners are going to be enjoying too. But I do want to pivot a little bit uh, to talk about um, the art scene just for a second because I know you're uh, the author of the 1968 project. Um, doing a deep dive into um, sort of the relation of how history and music uh, sort of coincided there and like the evolution within like that period of social upheaval. Uh, Philly especially has been one of the big um, areas where, uh, you know, we obviously had the George Floyd uh, Black Lives Matter protests in uh, past 2020. And then um, it's sort of been a hotbed for, uh, you know, some real grassroots activism and progressive change. I'm wondering, like, from your perspective as somebody who's been listening to uh, some music that's been coming out of the Philly scene and uh, who's really plugged into this world, um, have you seen sort of an evolution in how artists are approaching, uh, you know, the work, um, if they're, uh, if these events have been uh, leaving an impact on uh, their own creative output? That's a really good question. I think it's, I think it's unfortunately probably too early to tell. Um, so one thing I write about at this project um, is how you have to really kind of figure out uh, when this music was recorded, not just when it's released, right? So I think a lot of the reactions, a lot of the George Floyd and, and social upheaval in Philly, that, that music's probably coming out now-ish, right? But I think there was also... Um, it's difficult to pinpoint from a historical perspective because you have the pandemic that kind of wedges in. So I do think that there's been a lot of pandemic releases um, in Philly. You see, um, you know, for example, I, I think about um, the Menzingers, which is a, you know, a punk band that um, played Philly Music Fest last year. They, they had a record that came out, I think it was called Hello Exile. And then, during the pandemic, early pandemic, they re-recorded that record in an acoustic, kind of slower acoustic fashion, and they released it as From Exile, which which is an ode to the pandemic. So I've seen more, you know, odes or nods to the pandemic so far, um, more so than reflecting on the political and kind of social upheaval. I think those records and songs will will probably come um, but I think that people pushed out their very simply recorded 
kind of a little bit more bedroom pop stripped down releases uh, that are a consequence of the pandemic. So I think it kind of interrupted it. But I think that's why I'm saying like you need to we need to figure out when stuff was recorded and when it was released. And that and that's the you know part of the study that I undertook in that 1968 project, which, you know, goes month by month and tracks what music was released um, coinciding with historical events and tracking back to when it was recorded and um you know you know a lot of vietnam um and you know racial protests and things like that in that year which was made it super interesting so i think it's kind of a tbd to see if our philly artists are reacting to some of the events um and how that manifests itself in the in the music but um i'm i'm super attuned to seeing how that unfolds Definitely. Yeah. And really excited to see, especially how uh, the artists performing at Philly Music Fest, you know, might be taking some of those records recorded then uh, and start um, showcasing them to the public. So, uh, you know, I just want to thank you for being super gracious with your time. I uh, just have one final question. Um, you know, running music, a big music fest like this, you mentioned you're in your sixth year. Uh, this can be the fifth year in person because um, you're even running it in 2020 doing a live stream, which uh, was really impressive. Uh so obviously you're dealing with a lot of, uh, you know, highly volatile, inflated egos here. Which one do you think is harder, managing those or managing uh, being a parent to teenage children? Oh, well, that's a good one. Um, my my boys are good. You come out to the shows and you see my my boys. Um, you know that. Yeah, I I think the musicians are harder to be honest. <laughs> um, gotcha. And it's not an ego thing. It's it, it with the musicians. It's it's really more that you know, they're just so attuned to making sure their performance is perfect. And there's a lot, they have a lot less control at festivals, right? Because sometimes the sets are shorter, the back line's different, just the whole aesthetic and branding of it is different. So um, there's just sometimes an edginess that people have at the festivals. And one thing that we've tried to do is um, we try to break that down a bit and, and we provide food, we provide a, you know, drinks, we provide a whole kind of communal atmosphere. Um, they'll have the charities that we support usually do the stage intros instead of, you know, the fancy producer or whatever comes out and says, please welcome. You know, we have, we have the folks that run these music education programs to doing it. So we, we try to, we try to relax everyone with, with the spirit and ethos of the nonprofit Philly music fest. And that generally kind of chills people out. But, you know, the, these artists, they want to make sure they're delivering the absolute best product uh, to their fans and the audience. So um, whereas, you know, my kids, I can just tell them what to do. Right. <laughs> I can't really just tell the bands what to do, but uh, the kids will do whatever I tell them to do. So it's a little bit easier managing them. Gotcha. I really like how you took like a joke question and then gave a really yeah. perceptive, like on brand answer like that. You, you're just amazing, man. It's absolutely incredible seeing the work that you're doing. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I, it I, I apologize for making your joke questions. But, uh, <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. That was far better than I could have anticipated. Thank you so much for being on. Appreciate it. Cool. Not a problem. And I'll see you at Inside Hustle. See you then. Thank you so much to Greg Seltzer for sitting down and talking to us. You guys can RSVP for Inside Hustle in the description. There are still some tickets available for the Philadelphia Music Fest. So if you are in the area, we really highly encourage you guys to come out. Again, this helps sponsor uh, amazing organizations that do a lot of good work for uh, public education and music in the Philadelphia area. So uh, definitely come out there. We will be covering it on October 14th and 15th. So if y'all are in the area, you can come out, see us then. Thank you so much for listening to the Opus Podcast. Our theme song is Underground Stars by Locks Beats. Remember to rate us five stars, Apple Podcasts and Spotify and wherever else you get your podcasts. Make sure you follow our Instagram, Opus with Dots. You can follow me at Lana Holgado on Instagram or any other platform you desire to look me up. All right. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. Take it easy. Take it easy. High five.